Hi, everyone. This is Joshua Hoffman, and welcome to another episode of the Masters in Marketing Agency podcast, where we deconstruct the why and how agency owners found their success, and in season two, discuss the future of marketing. Today, I have Michael Doyle, the CEO of Brand Iron, a leading branding, marketing, consulting, and implementation firm. Welcome, Michael. Hey, thank you for having and we were obviously just talking about Denver. I, I just moved to Denver and, and getting used to the, the colder weather here, uh, but absolutely loving it so far. So uh, a, a beer or coffee or drink sometime in the near future would be my, nice. Oh, that'd be great. So I want to I start back in the early days. Uh, and I know you mentioned last time we spoke that you started your career as an entrepreneur and then you went to the corporate world and then back to entrepreneurship, which obviously I think is very interesting. Um, and you, again, you mentioned last time we spoke that the corporation that you went to work for eventually wanted to buy back your company after the dot-com bust. So I, I need to hear all about that story again. Uh, can you tell us about Yeah, that? so um, back in the late 90s, uh, my, I had an advertising and marketing agency and we really honed in on um, working in the technology space and technology companies. And because we saw what was going on in the dot-com space and we said, hey, we want to be a part of this. And there's a huge growth in that sector. And, and you know, they're, they're buying companies like crazy. So what, if we start doing a lot of work in that space, there's a good chance we may get acquired. So it was very intentional. And sure enough, one of my clients got acquired as a part of an IPO roll-up. And they came to me and said, hey, oh, we got acquired. We want to acquire you guys. And we, since you've done all the branding and all the positioning and all the marketing to help get us to this point, we want to acquire you. We want to have you come on board and run our national brand. And so I ended up selling my firm. I worked for them for a couple of years. But you know it's really bad and there's it's it's gonna be a tough, tough road to hoe is when within the first ninety days they come back to me and said, Hey, we'd like to sell you your company back. And and I said, uh well the dot com bubble has kind of burst and that doesn't make any sense. I'll keep my money and you know i've already got a contract so i'll be working with for you guys for a couple of years and that's not the answer they wanted to hear um i it, and i did say hey if you want us if you want me to buy it back i'll buy it for pennies on the dollar and they did not think that was funny they wanted me to pay full price for my agency back again and assume my lease and all the liabilities and i had no interest in that whatsoever you know and um uh, so yeah yeah, I worked for them for two out of my three-year contract. Um, quick story on that is that my the day before my second anniversary, when they owed me a huge chunk of money, I got fired for insubordination. And so instead of I, and that by that time I would have had enough money to retire, um, but instead of that happening. Um, yeah, they let me go and then they pursued and sue me because they said it was easier and cheaper to sue me than pay me the actual real money. And uh, I spent the next two years in litigation in New York and about bled me to death. And it was brutal, absolutely brutal. Um, and then they go, you can't go out and work. And I was like, this is bullshit, you know, excuse me. But um, I started my I started bringing iron uh, during that whole process and it didn't matter. I, you know, they really could care less about doing any servicing, any branding and marketing firm. So I started my art, started my own firm again, started getting some back some of my old clients and 
got back down the road again. And that's been 21 years now. And it's been awesome. I mean, it, it could have been great, should have been great. But just the dot-com bus, uh, bubble bursting just crushed everybody. It was brutal. Absolutely brutal. I mean, we went from 1,600 employees to less than 400 during the time I was there. And it was it was depressing. I mean, there's just no other way to say it. So is there, it was rough. Is there anything you would have done differently, either selling your company or, you know, getting it back or, or anything during that process? No, I, I, I think it, the work, it worked out the way it was supposed to work out. You know, there's a, you know, I, I'd say plan for these types of things. And I don't look back and say I could have, would have, should have. Because, you know, and you know what, here's what the really the best thing about it was during that time, I I did not know what I was supposed to be doing branding marketing. But I re- what I really started doing was putting together what we call these analyst presentations and reporting to Wall Street about our results. And that's really I learned this invaluable skill of working with all these investment banking firms and that had invested hundreds of millions of dollars in our company and started putting together these decks and putting together these presentations. And I learned a, an invaluable skill that has helped propel Brand Iron and made us you know, really successful. So, you know, there's always a bright side and that's a huge bright side that I learned through that entire experience, which I probably would have never picked up if I hadn't gone through that whole c- scenario. Yeah, and I definitely want to get to the pitch decks and, sto- and all that story in a second, but I want to stay on the entrepreneurship and corporate world for a second, just because I think it's yeah. a little bit more unique. Don't get me wrong. You hear a lot of people that go from corporate world to entrepreneurship, right? They're like, oh my God, I'm done. Uh, but the, the entrepreneurship to corporate to entrepreneurship is, is fairly unique. So I'm going to, I'm going to keep digging into that. Yeah, no worries. That's all good. What, uh, what was the difference, the biggest difference between, you know, either being in a small shop slash entrepreneurship, uh, versus corporate world? Uh, you know, the difference was, um, we, we, we had a, and it's hard to really tell, to be honest with you, because, I mean, within months of me going to the corporate world, I mean, literally everybody, the dot-com bubble had burst. And so you don't know what it really would be like right, right, if you right. wouldn't have through literally blow up of that entire sector. And it was it really was a bloodletting. I mean, that's the only way to accurately describe it. It was a bloodletting. And so I don't know know what it would like if it had worked out and would have been okay i just know it was so bureaucratic and it was just soul sucking is you know it was soul sucking just because you know we had this investment banking firms that invested all this money expected these great results and then when the bubble burst it was like the beatings will continue until the morale improves and we could there was nothing we can do to improve things i mean it was just the way it was and there's not much you could do to turn around a sinking ship and we're all living and dying on that sinking ship and it was it was really some of the worst couple years of my life <laughs> I'm sorry to laugh. I didn't mean to. I didn't mean to laugh. No, no, no. It, it's totally fun. I mean, it is what it is, right? All right. So we'll we'll get. All, let's let's suck the corporate part out of this. And now I want to understand. You know, the first time running an agency or running a business. Um, you know, what did you learn? What did you bring? What did you not bring into now running Brand Iron? You know, um, well, it's it's quite a bit different because. It was very much creative before and 
I have learned a whole lot because I mean we're we are exposed to and we are working with all these technology companies, so it forces us to be really technolo technology savvy, and which is a great thing. And you know, I I we learned a lot. I mean, the company I sold my firm to, we implemented big um, CRM systems, our big um, ERP systems, or all these other technology applications that help companies run a report on analytics or results or accounting or logistics or whatever. So I learned an invaluable, you know, lessons about technology and the and the benefit it can bring to a, a company. And so that that's totally different now then because it really was creative focused. And so then I really changed into be a lot more technology focused nowadays. The other big big thing was part of my job was in that reporting to Wall Street, and I had to learn the true true financial basics. I was okay before. But I had to learn true understanding of ROI and financial calculations and cash management and all these invaluable, you know, real life financial lessons and learn to report on it, understand it, communicate about it. And it put gave me an invaluable of not only telling that story, but give me, you know, true life or business skills to how to apply that to my own firm now that I would have never in a million years understood what it takes to report to Wall Street if I had not gone through that whole scenario. And I'm just much better business leader nowadays and much more well educated about, you know, what is valuable in the eyes of, you know, the M&A world or, or bigger corporations. And so... That understanding has really helped around me and make up be a much better business leader and much better. Not only entrepreneur, let's say that fast real quick, uh, entrepreneur, but also, you know, being going to help tell other companies what are those requirements and what are they looking for and how do you make, not only bring in a position in yourselves, but how do you set yourself up operationally to create maximum value? Yeah, I think a lot of times when you go into a project like that, there's obviously things that you think should be said, and then there's the things that, you know, actually want to be heard by the other side. Um, right. And I think closing that delta or closing that gap between the two is is kind of the importance of doing probably good work versus bad work. Um, yeah. So you've obviously been in, in marketing for a while. So, you know, for lack of better question, you know, what have you seen change since, again, the first uh, agency versus now? <laughs> Everything. <laughs> I mean, Jeff, I'll, I'll, I'll date myself, but I mean, Josh, excuse me. Um, I mean, this is crazy because literally when I was a young kid out of college, I worked for an agency and it was so different because, I mean, literally there was no cell phones. I mean, there was no internet. I mean, it was light years i mean and it, it was so much different then because to be able to start your own agency without having the online support or how to's i mean you just either had to learn it or you had to build a network to be able to build the relationships to tell you what to do because you couldn't go online and you couldn't do the research and i mean it is so night and day different i mean it, it was very old school. If you look like the Mad Men, the show and the market comps and market boards and pitching it. And I mean, those days, I still try to teach those lessons to my team about old school ways of 
packaging and presenting a, a concept, an idea, a campaign, because those lessons are invaluable. And that is a lost art that very few people understand and know how to do these days. But I mean, nowadays you've got that access to information and it's instantaneously at your fingertips. And so, so many more people are experts because mm. you can, because you could watch videos or take classes and you can. And so the whole world has changed because there were so few people, so much less competition because how would you gain all that information unless you spent years in the business? And I thought I knew what, what the hell I was doing in my mid twenties. And I started my first agency had no freaking clue. I mean, I had none. And I mean, I luckily I found some mentors that helped to teach me and train me because you couldn't do any research. But I literally for the first couple of years had to learn those through the school of hard knocks. And so nowadays between technology and internet and cell phones, and I sound like I'm really freaking old and I am a little bit, but I mean, it's, it, there's no, I mean, the, the changes that we've seen during my career, it's just astonishing to me. And so, you know, it's so funny because now in my agency, I'm one of the biggest, you know, nerds from what comes to marketing automation systems, our CRM systems. And by far and away, I'm the oldest one on our firm, but I'm probably the most technology savvy and provide a lot of the answers about a lot of these technology things. And I pride myself on it. So I think that no matter your rage or you got to be is you got to balance yourself between, you know, modern day you know those technology stacks you've got to understand the finances of the business you've got to have a good grounding of what that wants to look like you've got to understand true marketing or branding but then you also got to have a true understanding of those people in our soft skills as well too you got to be able to have to know how to package and pitch things like the madman show and what does that look like because that is so far removed these days from what most people get taught because it just it's a rare skill these days to see people that know how to effectively do that and so i think technology has is, is opened up a lot of gates but it's also crippled a lot of people from really having to learn all these other valuable skills do you see any like new positions at marketing agencies right now that maybe weren't there when you started Oh, 100%. I mean, you know, between digital and social, but now you're starting to see, you know, whoever thought that you would have like an analytics or an analyst position. I mean, give me a freaking break. I mean, that, that was for like a, you know, finance company or an accounting firm or like a private equity firm or a real estate investment firm would have those type of people. But whoever thought that data analytics would come into marketing and advertising these days, I mean, that's mind blowing, but it's pretty cool too, you know? Yeah, I guess how do you how do you then think about you know quantitative versus qualitative decision making? Um, you know, it sounds like maybe before it was a lot more qualitative because the the data just wasn't there, and now the data is there. Is it is it? Can you go too far on the quantitative side? Is there no such thing? Like what it, what are your thoughts on that? Oh, 100%. I mean, yeah, I think that you've got to find that balance between quantitative and qualitative data in decision making, right? And I think that the people are very reliant on uh, um, the quantitative and just don't have the experience or the uh, knowledge underneath their belt, if you will, to be able to bring those real life business or life experiences to be able to help make those qualitative 
decisions and or the experience to know what really works and what you what's really valuable from the data perspective and, and what's going to help really move the needle and I think we're reliant too much on data sometimes and you've really got to balance yourself between boots on the ground experience you know everything's not a textbook you've got to have practical experience and you've got to have real to roll up your sleeves and say this is important but execution and implementation and good communications is just as important as the data and so how do you find that that balance right well then i would guess you know someone that doesn't maybe have that experience maybe they're just out of college you know i, I know there's no perfect path but would you recommend getting the experience first and then maybe starting an agency or just jumping in with both feet and, and learning through mistakes and things like that I think you Google about it either way. I think no matter which way you do it, I had the really good fortune of I had some mentors when I was starting my agency that really helped me immensely. I had some, you know, a leader of a design firm that I later merged my firm with later, you know, a couple of years down the road. And but I had like a mentor like that. And I had a mentor on the sales side who really helped groom me from the business development and sales side. And then I had also a financial person help me out as well too. And so having mentors and helping bolster that real life experience or giving you advice is immensely important and can help bridge that gap. Um, and so I, I I don't think there's a right way or wrong way to do it, but I just think if you don't have that experience, you've got to figure out how do you tap into someone with experience to help you make some really good, not just quantitative decisions on that data, but qualitative and real life experiences that could give you a better perspective that having gone through it is really the only way you're going to get a lot of that that wisdom or that knowledge. Yeah, no, I think that was great. Uh, now to take a step back, can you actually tell us a little bit more about your agency and, and actually how you got into pitch decks, which I know you shared a little bit of, but can you dive into that a little bit? Yeah, so, um, you know, like I said before, when I sold my company and went to work for this .com, um, I, I I started doing what we call these analyst presentations. I had no, no clue. I mean, I had no clue what, it, what this was or what it meant. And it was just put together this, you know, this PowerPoint presentation and tell this, you know, show this data. And I started looking at it and say, well, this doesn't make any sense. What if we help Connor this or do this? And I just organically picked up this storytelling skills in a pitch deck. And, and I said, you know what? And, and I still did it for a number of years. And through that whole process, I was like, you know what? Once I got to the end of serving my time and purgatory um i said you know what there's a really there's a there's a business here where we can take what we do in branding and marketing but integrate it with results and bring that results to marketing and advertising that has traditionally not been there it's still still pretty heavily weighted from a creative perspective that but that pendulum is definitely swinging to the other side and i said you know what we can package and develop a product doing cap raise decks or pitch decks and we've done that and i'm now we've done hundreds of them and really have kind of refined the process and but having gone through that experience myself not only do i understand that the pillars of telling a great story but telling a great financial story and understanding the value points that's that investors in or investment banking firms 
or um, family offices or all these other types of people, I understand what they're looking for. So I know I really have a, developed an understanding of how do we, what are those important value points and the value proposition, not only for the company itself, but for the investment. And then how do we put together those, the overarching theme and the chapters of that story that build that foundation to be able to pitch that message. And then just as important, and probably we see 95% of the companies out there don't know how to tell what we call a good financial story. You know, why is your company so valuable? Is it because you have a reoccurring revenue model and you've got, it's like a SaaS or a technology play, or it's a cash cow and you're producing cash on a regular basis, or what is it that's so valuable about your company from a financial perspective that makes your company so valuable, whether it be cash flow or reoccurring revenue, or you have a great EBITDA, or, or you've, you've really grown this thing from a subscriber base, and how do you package those things? Now, how do you, number one, determine what are the top two, three, four really key, I call them sexy financial points that an investor or a partner would want to hear, but how do you package that? How do you visually show it? I mean, we see these presentations with spreadsheets at them. And I mean, and then they're like a four or five point type. And I was like, and that's going to suck somebody in and they're going to get super excited about looking at that spreadsheet. I mean, we see that all the time still versus, you know, understanding what the story is. How do you put it together? What are those important points and how do you package that? How do you put it together visually and kind of weave it into the bigger picture story and how do you make it con ruins so it's clear and concise and it's engaging and gets people excited about what you do you mentioned one thing but uh i was going to ask this anyway so I'll, I'll squeeze the grape and see if you have anything else what do you think <laughs> people get wrong oh my god we see so many things I, I i i still after all these years i still see these giant pitch decks i mean giant ones i mean sometimes 100 slides and i'm like Oh my God. I mean, you've got an hour long meeting. How the hell are you ever going to get through a hundred slides? I mean, it's mind blowing. Okay. So I see that mistake all the time. I see the mistake where they don't know the, what, what their value points are or what their own value proposition is all the time. They don't know what it is. They throw data in there, hoping that something's going to stick and they haven't done the hard work of rolling up their sleeves and identifying the true value points of the value proposition of not only the company or the investment. And we see that, I'd say almost all the time where they really don't understand the true value that they bring to the marketplace. The other thing I see, and it's almost, almost always, is that they don't know how to tell good financial stories. I mean, even with investment firms, they don't, they put data in there, they put spreadsheets in there and uh, and they don't know how to tell that story because they they live in spreadsheets they breathe in spreadsheets but they don't know how to extract the story out of those spreadsheets and package that into a story um and then i also think the other one is you don't put together like a success plan and they don't know how to package that whether it be in a timeline or they don't put together kind of where the future growth wants to be and put together like this is how it's going to be and this is you know make it realistic as well too. So I don't think that they do a good job of mapping out the future and how, what they're gonna be able to achieve and, and make it seem viable and what the true value is if 
you know, you buy in this concept or you invest in this concept or you acquire this company, you've got to be able to put that story in there and make it believable. I think that's really important because as the business owner, you know, you did what you did, right? Like you have your past and this is what you're saying you did as the company. However, at the end of the day, the acquirer, the, the purchaser, technically, you know, they're, they're looking at that track record, but they actually only care about what's ahead of you, right? Like they want to know how is this going to benefit me? Um, so I think that's really important to make sure that you're not just talking about or even focusing on, you know, what we've done, but also how it's going to look in the future. Um, yeah. And it brings me one another point on that. I'll just throw one other add on is it's so important to have a performa, which is kind of like the financial tool, if you will, that kind of helps put together that forecast for 12, 24, 36, 40, you know, 48 or 60 months, because that's what the investor or acquirer wants to see, you know? And they want it to be believable, right? It can't just be, and this is what we see. Most of them are, we're going to be this giant unicorn within the next 12 months. And then the investor or the acquirer says, no, you're not. I mean, that's not reality. Put together a forecast that's believable and that's viable and back it up. It's it's almost like writing a, a, a thesis, right? Where you here's your statement and then here's the pillars that support that thesis and why this makes sense well that's what a performa does here's our forecast here's where we're going and here's why it makes sense because we've got this marketing sales process we've got this financial team that's going to you know manage that we've got you know all we've got a great operations behind this it's going to make sure we provide great experiences and so you've got to really package that and tell that story and you really it's it, it it's not just a financial but it's begging the question of how you're going to put the other business pillars into motion to be able to produce these results and these outcomes and that's what a true savvy investor or acquirer wants to see my other job is in m a uh so i this is what i do all day every day and I, <laughs> i'm telling you a lot right <laughs> no well this is so so why well, i love that i get to add to this you know um and it's amazing how many times i hear you know the business owner talk about how they have a best in class product or whatever it is um but you know they don't tell a good story besides that one line right like there's nothing to back it up uh you know if you had a best in class why are you not at 50 million instead of you know the five hundred thousand that you're at right now or something like that so yeah it's so important. You're right. It's so important not only to tell that story, but talk about very specifically how in the future, given more capital, uh, these are the exact plans of, of what will happen um, if, to see that business grow. So I think that's a, I think that's a great point. A um, few questions I, I tend to ask at the end. If you had to teach yeah. to other marketers, what would it be? Um, well, uh, I, you know, there's a couple things, but one is... I see today that I do, uh, I spend a lot of my time these days within my own team teaching them soft skills. Hmm. You know, especially over the last couple of years with COVID and Zoom meetings and Google Meets and all these other things, that the value of the face to face meeting or even the being on video and looking you in the eye or looking the clients in the eye is a lost art of being able to read people. And those soft skills have just, it, it's just gotten diminished. 
And I would say is really, really good people understand not just marketing, but they understand the softer skills of the business and how to read clients, how to, how to be empathetic or how to understand them or understand what they're saying or be able to effectively communicate with them. Hmm. So I think that's number one, because that's one of my biggest issues in my firm is teaching those soft skills every single day. So I'd say that's number one. Number two would be, you know, it's not just the task, if you will. And this is what another thing I teach my team every single day. It's not about the task, but it's understanding the task and how it fits into the bigger picture desired outcomes and understanding not only for your own firm, but for your clients, this is just a post or an email or an ad or a podcast but how does that fit into the this is why we're doing this because we want to achieve these goals and objectives and if we do that then this is what it produces and they just don't understand they they have the short-sightedness but they don't take a step back and can't see the bigger picture of desired outcomes and almost every student wants to know just about the task but this task plays in what role towards these bigger picture outcomes and having to under knowing that understanding that how to effectively communicate is what every CEO it's what I want my employees to understand but it's every customer wants to know that their agency or their partners understand and know I think that's great uh, to to just point out one thing for each one uh first point uh just talking about zoom <laughs> um man this is this is not to you you are you've not been doing it. don't do anything else like people know when you're when you're looking at another website literally you can see that the screen color change on someone's face like and then you see their eyes start darting and man, it's so distracting like like why are we on this call you know like if you're not paying attention like what are we what are we doing here and i think people have gotten a lot more loose with that because they're not in person and not all like you you can't see someone on their phone when it's on zoom or something like that. So it's, it just blows my mind. Uh, for the second part, um, I, th I, so let's, one thing about that, hold on, please, please. John, it's, it's my number one, by, by, by far, the number one complaint on my class is that the team is not on video. Ah, oh, and I have to remind every day, You've got to be on video. The clients want to see you, look you in the face, look you in the eye. Get on camera. Really? No, I didn't yeah. do my hair. I didn't do my makeup. I go, that's why the clients want to see that you're put together, that you're engaged. Come on. Yeah, I, you know, I, I sometimes I feel bad. So I, I have like my your camera on one side, and then I have my notes on the other. Uh, and so I, I sometimes I forget to tell the person, but like anytime I look on one side, I promise I'm just writing notes. Like I'm just asking the next question. Um, but it is, I think it's so. <laughs> I think it's a great point. Just have your camera on. Um, and then the the last thing that you said there, um, you know, getting understanding the goal of something. Literally a few, uh, and even before our or after our discovery call, I started asking people the question of like, what's your goal for this podcast? Like, obviously, you know, you as the guest said yes to this for a reason. It's not just to spend 30 minutes an hour with me, you know, although I, I like to believe that, but um, obviously there's a goal to it too. So I, I started asking, you know, guests like, what is your goal and how can we help, you know, achieve your goal for why you're, you're joining on this podcast? So, um, Next question, how can you work with other marketing agencies or, you know, what services can you partner with other agencies? 
Uh, we we do that all the time. Um, I actually partner with some other agencies, you know, for some, you know, back, if you know, support, if you will. When we get overwhelmed or we get stuck on this or we get too much of this. Um, but we also provide, we help tell, there's a lot of agencies where they go. I get referrals a lot of times where they need help telling the story or putting together a deck or a pitch deck. I also do a lot of pitch coaching too, which most agencies haven't don't, you know, they've never done that. And I get called that and I get referrals for that all the time too. So, you know, part of it is around decks, part of it's about capital raise stuff, but also about pitch presentations. Um, we do that all the time. I mean, you know, also, I mean, the other one we do, and I've done it a couple of times now, I actually helped out a friend with a digital agency and he goes, can you, I know you, you know, and he's a friend of mine. He actually said, can you help me with my own pitch deck? Can you help me tell my story? Because I want to get acquired. And so I helped him do that and he got acquired and now he's off to do different things. And, you know, that's pretty cool. I was able to help my friend do that, you know? And we're yeah, not right. competitors to be able to see how we can help. Here's what I always say about relationships is I get hounded every single day. I probably it, t- dozens and dozens every single day for partnerships, partnering partnerships in a true relationship are reciprocal. And that's what I tell people all the time. The best relationships when you're married or you've got a boyfriend or a girlfriend or whatever, or a best friend, the best relationships are reciprocal. You understand what each other needs and you're helping one another out. And that's what I look for in partnerships. And that's what I try to achieve in partnerships as well, to make sure that it's not a one-way street, that it's a give and take, and we're helping one another's businesses grow. Yeah, that's uh, that's great. We're actually with the podcast. What we're trying to do in this evolution of kind of what the podcast is becoming is we're going to now kind of build a community of the guests. And and basically, you know, when one agency needs something, you know, instead of just going out and on LinkedIn and asking or something, maybe you can go to the community first and ask. Um, and and I think just kind of build that trust in that way. Um, but you have a unique service. Um, so I, I you're definitely the only pitch deck uh agency that we have so far um so i think uh hopefully we can throw you some business through there but i'll let you know know more about that and same with the listeners uh more about that in a a little bit last uh our second last question are you guys looking to hire any positions right now uh actually we just literally onboarded someone today um but uh, you know i think we will be shortly um just because we i see business picking up significantly which is great we had an awesome winter and spring i don't know what happened in summer but it wasn't so so good but that's a lot happens a lot of time in summertime right exactly. and then we're seeing a big pickup in the in the fall which is huge so not today but i think we'll we will be soon perfect uh last question any books or podcast or newsletter recommendations oh that's a great question <laughs> uh, doesn't have to be uh, business or marketing by the way it could be anything you know, I, I you know, I I listen to a couple of different well, actually quite a few different podcasts and I read a bunch of different books. Actually here's 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 one. It's um by Tim Sanders and it's the I I think it's the called the Love Cat. And he used to work for Mark Cuban and it's a number of years old. But he used to work with Mark Cuban and he became this thing about networking and building out your spheres of influence. And it's exactly, it's very much aligns with what I just talked about, about having reciprocal relationships. But he talked about 
having and giving um, unconditional love to your business partners and that you give with unconditional love like you would in a relationship, true relationship, but that by doing that, you build this fear of influence and this community of people that would do anything for you. And that will, they're rooting for you and they want to, they want to do anything they can to help, help give back because you gave to them and now they feel obligated to be able to help you succeed. And so I'm a huge proponent and that, you know, kind of has a foundation and a spiritual side there too. But from a business side, I am truly, and from my ethics standpoint, how do we give unconditionally? How do we help one another out to succeed? And then how do we do so much of that where your partners really want to look out for you and give back to you and help you succeed because you've helped them so much? That's great. That's a new one too. Um, so that's, that's, uh, I like that one. Um, as we come up to the end of the episode, I just want to give you an opportunity to mention how people can find you and anything else you'd like to end with. Yeah, it's, uh, you know, you can find it, me, it's brandiron.net. You can find me on LinkedIn, it's Michael Doyle, um, or brandiron as well, too, on LinkedIn as well, too. And then we also have capraisedeck.com is another one of our websites, and it's the product, it's the one of the products. Brandiron's full service, but that's just the product side as well, too. Awesome. Thank you so much for coming on the show. And for those of you who learned something new from this episode, please consider giving us a like or a follow so we can continue getting the highest quality of guests. And as always, thank you for listening. Michael, uh, I enjoyed this so much. Thank you. Hey, thank you so much. I really appreciate the time. Thanks for listening to the Masters in Marketing Agency podcast. I hope you got a ton of value out of this episode. And before we go, I just want to thank our sponsors, DevNoodle. DevNoodle provides marketing agencies with the ability to offer their clients unlimited website design, build, and management services with fixed monthly plans. If website design, development, and maintenance is holding your agency back from growing, please reach out to us at devnoodle.com, where we make websites easy, easy for you and easy for your clients, devnoodle.com.